Print Shop is once again open and I am pleased to welcome you to my podcast. I want to concentrate today on several topics, one in particular that I did not finish in my previous one. That is a conversation with William Page around his recollection of what the village was like when he was growing up here. That conversation provides insight into what businesses were prospering and their location within the village. But before I begin, I want to share that my mind feels more at ease because I have a new Bose Wave sound system to play my music. I have always loved music in my home daily. My sound system, which was called Techniques, was purchased some many years ago and has served me well. My many CDs will continue to be played and provide enjoyment from this point on. Now sharing with you Mr. Page's memories of people who have lived here in the early years and how businesses started and prospered is where I would like to move on to. We will start with Culver Street. At that time, there were only three homes located on the south side. The first one, now 112, was owned by Mr. and Mrs. Franklin Hayes, who operated a hardware store on Griffin Street. On a personal note, Mr. Hayes served a district Grand Master of Niagara District A in 1949. The second home was owned by Mr. and Mrs. Dick Souter, now 118, whose occupation was a mail carrier as part of his job, and he met the trains at the station, picked up the mail, and delivered it to the post office as it arrived twice daily on the THB Railway. Other residents over the years were Mr. and Mrs. Melvin Hodgkins, followed by Mr. and Mrs. Ernie Lacey and family. The last home on Culver, sitting on the village limits, was built in 1872 by Mr. and Mrs. Anson Kennedy, now 124. Over the years, Mr. and Mrs. Dan Powers, Mr. and Mrs. Sterling Turner and family, then Mr. and Mrs. Leslie Shurton and family lived here. Mr. Shurton served as road superintendent for the township of South Grimsby. On the north side of Culver, just west of the present high school, the Universalist Church was built in 1862, and according to records, Reverend Lavelle was a minister. Mr. Page remembers that when he was younger, there was a large hall and blacksmith shop at the village limits on Canberra and Townline Road on the north side, and he recalls a hall was built by Orangeman Lodge Group, and it later burned. At 205 Canberra Street on the east side next to the bridge was a commercial residential complex owned by Mr. and Mrs. D.M. Camp. Years later, Mr. and Mrs. Claude Snyder owned and operated a furniture-making business along with the manufacturing of caskets. Over the years, more owners followed, including Mr. and Mrs. Jack Shepard and family, Mr. and Mrs. Frank Ezard, and then Mr. and Mrs. Morgan Reese. Richard Griffin built the grist mill on the 20-mile creek along with a dam to direct the water to operate the mill. In 1905, the large buildup of ice and the quick thaw took out both the dam and the bridge. One of the most memorable occurrences in the younger life of Mr. Page was the building of the pump house and water line in 1914 that ran to the THNB railway station to fill the big water tower. The water was used to operate the steam engines as they passed through. The first few years of operation, coal and wood were burned to create the steam to run the pumps. Later, it was changed to gasoline, and then when hydro was brought to the village, they were changed over to that power source. This building and dam was built on the 20-mile creek. It was located just east of the town bridge. 
R.J. Baldwin was the first operator of the pump house, and he was followed by Ab Edwards and Lon Jennings. This was a major accomplishment then and served the railway for many years. According to the registry office files, the pump house property was first owned in 1873 by Susanna Melissa Curran, wife of Patrick R. Curran, then transferred to Solomon Teeter, a quarter of an acre along with an additional two acres, which was allocated for a residence. On file as owners over the ensuing years were Matthias Conkle, Mary H. Culp, Hugh I. Bridgman, Philip J. Teeter, John Patterson, and then Edward Bernard Acton. In 1913, the railway bought enough property to build on the site. in the early years and a number of local citizens were entrepreneurs delivering coal to the residents. Coal came to the communities by rail car and there were sightings at Smithall, St. Anne's, Grassy and other towns and villages. Billy McCollum operated such business from a building just east of the railway overpass on the north side of St. Catherine Street. In 1925 the building became Ken Ory's garage and is now known as Smithall Garage. Also, as mentioned in the earlier podcast, Dan Shrum, Charles Shrum and family also delivered coal. Harmon Hodgkins, born at Bismarck, Ontario in 1890, grew up there. After graduating from school, he married Etta Davis, started in the farming, and eventually became a farm machinery dealer. Later, they operated a General Electric store in St. Anne's. And in 1921, they moved to Smithville and bought the home next to McMurchy Lane from Edwin Miller, which is now 147 Griffin Street. The home was originally owned by Dr. and Mrs. McMurchy. Harmon built a storefront and operated several businesses there. Over the years, this building was a grocery store and butcher shop. And through the years, businesses were operated by E.B. Hodgkins, Clifford and Doris Hodgkins, Mr. and Mrs. Clayton Hodgkins, and Mr. and Mrs. Darrell Joyner. Today, the building is occupied by Smithville Chiropractic Clinic under the ownership of Dr. Goncher and Associates. On the other side of, of McMurchy Lane in 1936, Harmon built a cement block storage building for a coal business that also delivered to local area residents. Mr. Sam Fisher, who lived at the corner of Canberra Street and Town Line, which is now 462 Canberra, was a resident in the early 1900s. Here he operated a canning factory, a cider press, hay baling, and a sawmill. In 1919, he bought the feed store on Griffin Street from Dan Shrum. After a few years, he sold the business to Isaac Collins and Wilbur Lonsbury. Being an avid entrepreneur, he bought the property next to McPherson's grocery store on Griffin Street and built a building that allowed him to operate an international harvester farm equipment agency. Mr. Fisher, according to Mr. Page, was one of the local citizens who lost money in the bumper factory that was built at the end of Dufferin Street but never opened. The building was later purchased by the province of Ontario for a workyard for the crew that maintained 20 Highway from Bismarck to the Pine Bush at the Lincoln-Wentworth Lincoln town line. 
The farms in the area that produce milk ship their wares to dairies in Hamilton or to cheese factories in Smithville, Bismarck, and Silverdale. The first cheese factory in Smithville was on Brock Street near the railway siding built in the late 1870s. It was operated by Will Harrington, who later sold it to Will Thompson. The creamery on Mill Street was built by A.B. Bartlett and W.B. Thompson. The building not only housed the creamery, but had a residence on the upper floor. In 1919, Mr. Thompson bought out Mr. Bartlett, and in 1922, the buildings were destroyed by fire, as well as the residence of Mr. and Mrs. Thompson. They re rebuilt the creamery, ice house, and garage, but not the residence. In 1923, the business was sold to two men who owned the Sanitary Dairy in St. Catharines and Mr. Wilbur, Wilbur Lonsbury. This three-way partnership lasted for the life of the creamery. Basil Lonsbury was appointed manager and built a home on Mill Street near the creamery in later years. One interesting note. They built a large building to store ice, which they cut in blocks from the 20-mile creek and stored in sawdust to be used for cooling and to extend the life of the cheese. I have to give praise to these men and women who came before us, that not only were they pioneers, but they operated in many businesses that were successful and over the years contributed to making our village to what it is today. Mr. Page mentioned a number of businesses and who operated them. I'm going to list their names and the type of business. Sam Woodland had the first foundry, Wheeler Camp, a machine factory, he was also the undertaker of Hicks and Irvin Funeral Home. James Teeter, a blacksmith. Sam Kohler, a tinsmith. Alvin Patterson, a jewelry and hardware store. Henry Kaus, and later Jack Patterson, a blacksmith shop. Milton Zimmerman, a lumberyard. Calvin Patterson, a seed mill. Grandpa and Grandma Durkee, a general store. D.W. Eastman, a drugstore. E. Nevels, then Bolters, a butcher shop. Alfie Davis, a butcher shop. John Tanner, then William Hunter, a harness shop and shoe repair. John Field, a feed store. Billy All, a shoemaker and operated the first telephone exchange. First Royal Bank was located in the Martin Block. Joe Martin, a shoe store. A. H. Jolly, a blacksmith. Jim and Roy Goring, a general store. Murgatroyd Brothers, Financial and General Merchants. Hiram Field, a pump maker, installed the first wooden pump on the corner of Griffin and St. Catherine Streets. W. Telford was a carpenter. Jesse Telfer, millinery shop. Dick Warden, a carpenter. John Brandt, a drugstore. James Augusta and J.H. Snick, tailor shop in the lower floor of the UFO Hall. Robert Book, a lumber mill. Then on January 18, 1965, the editor of the Smithville Review, Ivan Crothers, received a letter from Frankie Page, who then lived in New Dundee, Ontario, giving the following information that he had recorded from the Province of Ontario Gazette and Directory, published in 1869 by Robertson and Cook, Toronto. 
It says, A posse village in the township of Grimsby, county of Lincoln, 19 miles from St. Catharines, the county town from Grimsby Station on the Great Western Railway, some eight miles by stage. The average price of land in the vicinity improved $35, unimproved $30 per acre. Daily Mail and a Money Order Office. forties and fifties and with the help of Sonny Hunter McCollum who bought who put together a list of businesses she remembers made our community thrive and prosper. Our population then was around seven hundred and fifty and the village signs read the heart of the Niagara Peninsula. We list the businesses and some of the owners, not necessary in alphabetical order. The Ladies' Dress Shop, Mrs. Steve Mate, Commercial Hotel with Guest Rooms, Banquet Facility and Pool Hall, Mr. and Mrs. Steve Mate, Dry Goods Store, Sam Magner, Meat Butcher Shop, Fred Boulder, McIntyre Family, Kelly and Elizabeth, Grocery Stores, L.P. Killens, John Paul, Carl McEwen, C.O. and Doris Hodgkins, Feed Mills, Smithville Feeds, Actor, Acton Flower and Feed, Smithers Feed Mill, Ralston Perina Green Milk. Bakeries, Quality Bakery and Jocelyn Bakery. Newspaper, Smithville Review, George Adams and Ivan Crothers. Machine Shops, James Hiscott, Nick Mockery. Barber Shops, Fred Joyner and Gordon Pearson. Harness Maker and Shoe Repair, William Hunter. Restaurants, Jolly Howe, Jack Bean Cottage Inn, Jack and Lillian Shepherd Shep's Inn, Auto Parts Store, Delmer Hodgkins, Lawyers, Fred Mercatroyd, J. Nickel Davis, Gunstock Crafter, Albert Hunter, Bank, Royal Bank of Canada, Blacksmith Shops, Wilmer Lane, Jack Downey, Nick Mockery, Drugstore, William Henderson, Veterinary, Dr. R.C. Topp, Hardware Stores, Frank Hayes, later Hibbard Hardware, Hodgkins Hardware. Beauty Salons, Margaret Prishak, Dorothy Adams, Etta Hodgkins. Funeral Homes, Harold Book, Clarence Merritt. Wool Shop, Mrs. R.J. Shepard. Doctors, Dr. J. Leeds, Dr. N.P. Heading, Dr. J. Russell. Frozen Food Lockers, Pat Patterson, Fern Goulet. Beekeepers, Norm and Clark Diamond. Ren Downs. Auto Body Shop, Art Garner. Creamery, Basil Lonsberry. Photographer, Art Garner. Plumbing and Heating, Angle and Zimmerman. Pipe Fitter Shop, H. Johnson and Family. Lumber and Windows, R.E. Book and Sons. Appliance Store, C.O. Hodgkins. Gas Stations and Car Repair. Radford Rinker, Ken Ory. McCall Frontenac, Buck Edwards and Family. Orville Garner, Chev Car Dealership. R.J. Shepard, Shep's Inn. M.B. Cosby Car Dealer and Gas Pumps, Marshall's Garage. Farm Machinery Dealer, M.B. Cosby and Son. Coal Dealership, Charles Shrum, Harmon Hodgkins. Milk Transporters, J.W. Sheldrick, J.W. Thompson, Clyde McCartney, John Belint, Frank Ezard. Home Eating and Fuel Supply, Alec Young. Cleaners, S. McGinnis. 
Telephone Office, Bell. Paper Delivery, Sonny Hunter. Bowling Alley, L.P. Killens. In addition, the community is well served with six churches, softball diamonds, library, mail and parcel delivery twice a day, fire hall and council chambers, water service, the town pump, bus service between Smithville and Dunville, well, all this who needed to leave town to shop. Is there anyone who remembers the Calathumpian parades which were held in the early days in, in conjunction with the fall fair and the old boys girls reunions? The Orangemen started the celebrity event sometime in 1866, and that involved a large glorious parade including lots of loud bands and colorful floats. A Calathumpian parade is still held every year on the 4th of July in Burlick, Minnesota, USA. The Orangemen organization declined in Smithville and folded, as has many over the years. Mr. Page recalls one in 1915 and then again in 1921. Somehow the guest book for the 1921 reunion was left at the review office and over the years it was passed down and I still have it. It provides some great memories of people who once lived here and came back. The penmanship of great quality and it looks like they used a fountain pen. In a side note, some 224 registered for the reunion. The oldest person attending, born in Smithville, was Mrs. Lydia Durkee Snyder. The person traveling the farthest was George Irvine from Georgetown, Texas. It is time for one of these events to happen in the near future to bring people back to our village. The last reunion brings back memories for me. In 1945, I took part in the Calathumpian Parade and the Fall Fair. I will elaborate further on this in another podcast as my friend William Shrum and I were participants in this parade. The other event that the Fair Board presented in years past was called a Garden Party. This event took place in early spring and was an event where local talent was able to take part on the main stage and the, the main artistic performance was from Hamilton or Toronto. The stage was in front of the grandstand at the fairgrounds and great crowds were in attendance. Over years, this was abandoned by the fair board. So I bring this podcast to a close as I have a visitor. Mr. Clifford Travis has dropped by to chat about history of the village and the township, and we both have some great memories and like to reminisce. Until next time, the print shop is closing, and we say good night. Mm-hmm.